You're listening to The Radiant Podcast with Kelsey Chapman. I realized, wow, by me playing small, I am blocking my own freedom and I'm also blocking the freedom of others. It's not serving me, it's not serving others to play small. Buckle up, because it's about to be a good one, y'all. I am so excited to have my girl Kat Harris of the Refined Collective joining us today. Kat is a podcaster and an author of the upcoming book, Sexless in the City. And what I love about Kat is that she's willing to go there. She really brings it to this conversation and we really got to dig deep on some of the damaging messages that we've received from Christian culture and how we as women have internalized them. We leave no stone unturned and I love that Kat approaches every topic with a biblical lens so we're not just going against the grain for the sake of going against the grain but we're really digging in what does the gospel say versus christian culture and how sometimes the two can be different and so i really love this episode and i think you're going to find it as freeing as i did so let's cut to the chase i can't wait for you to tune in hey cat Hey, girl, how are you? So good and so excited to have you on. I have gotten the chance to kind of follow along with you for a while, and I love more than anything your willingness to go there. And so we're going to talk about it today, but I would love for you to start by telling the Radiant listeners who you are, what you do, all the things. Yeah, amazing. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And honestly, I feel like I wish we had been recording the last 30 minutes of our conversation because it was just so awesome. So I feel just really grateful to connect with you and yeah, who am I? My name is Kat Harris. I run the online publication, The Refined Woman. It's been going going strong for about eight years and my vision is to empower women to embrace their beauty, identity, and value through sharing the fumbles, the failures, the missteps, the wins in my own personal life. And I host a podcast called The Refined Collective. And I kind of in the last few years, the direction my my business has gone in the story is talking about being a single woman living in New York City, growing up in conservative Christian culture and being taught things like abstain from sex until marriage, which I never really questioned because I didn't really ever date a lot. And then I moved to New York seven years ago and dated more in one year than I had in a whole decade and found out things like when you're dating someone who is super hot that you really like, it's a lot harder to keep your pants on. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I ended up going on a personal journey where I was kind of at this fork in the road and kind of starting to identify, man, I've been given these scripts from Southern culture, from Christian culture, from evangelical culture, from the church about my body, about my sexual desire, about modesty, the clothes I do or do not wear, these rules of, you know, he can't touch your butt, but you can hold his hand and you can do this, but you definitely can't have sex. But like, what (laughs) is sex? And is it like the same definition for everyone? And so in the midst of a breakup, I went 
on what I thought would be like a two hour little quiet time of God, what is your heart for sex? Um, ended up being like a multi-year journey of researching any and every verse in the Bible that talked about sex and sexuality and intimacy to being that person at any party that would lock you in a corner and be like, what did you learn? What did you grow up learning about sex? And what do you believe about stuff like masturbation? And I was like that girl at the party that you were like, oh crap, I got stuck <laughs> talking to cat. Um, but all that to say is I am writing, I have written a book called Sexless in the City and it's coming out in the spring. And it's, it's one of those things that I never thought I was going to like, this was going to be the hill I was going to die on, or this was going to be what my business was about. I mean, for the majority of the eight years of the refined woman, I've been doing marketing strategy, content creation, social media, brand strategy for fashion houses. And my other day job is I've been a full-time photographer for 10 years. And it's just been interesting to see, oh, I'm now going down this other road that I never thought I was going to be going down, but here we are. (laughs) And here's what we're talking about. (laughs) Man, well, A, like I said at the beginning, I think it's your willingness to go there that draws me to you the most. And I think I've been on a journey of kind of finding my voice in this Christian culture and Mm -hmm. everything you're willing to go there on and question the narratives and the scripts we've been fed from Christian culture, which caveat, it's funny because my Christian culture experience, my parents are pretty like nominal Christians. So like I... Mm -hmm. I joke all the time. I was raised by moral heathens. They're great people. They're extremely moral, but like doing a Bible study, wasn't really our family dinner table thing. And so mm-hmm. everything I've picked up, all of these scripts I've picked up have been like from 14 years old onward. And that was from hopping youth groups with my friends and going to college groups by my own choice. And I just bought in. And if anyone in my friend group, probably off my podcast has heard me rant about one thing over the last five years. It's kind of questioning these scripts and how do you kind of step outside of them? And what if they're not true? What if they're not the gospel and they're just Christian culture that we've all bought into? And so I think what what really attracted me to your message is you're kind of exploring that exact same thing within kind of the niche of sexuality. And so I have found it a breath of fresh air, honestly, to hear you talk about these things and your willingness to risk maybe popularity or approval when you do question these things. So one thing I heard you say recently on a podcast was sometimes I know someone is saying something that I disagree with and that's probably damaging and wrong, but I still, as I question what they're saying, want them to like me and I want their approval. And I deeply related to that. And I think, I think questioning anything that's taught mainstream or the norm will cost you something. And it's, very scary. So what does that look like for you on your journey? Really thinking through what does this actually mean? What does it mean to Mm -hmm. be a Christian and explore how masturbation fits in that? And what if the the message that I'm damaged goods, if I have sex, what if there's another side to that? Like what has that journey been like for you? And also what has questioning it cost you? 
I hate when people are like, well, my Enneagram number. <laughs> so I'm just this way because That's of my me. number. <laughs> Sometimes I, I used to tell my old roommate, use your words, not your numbers. And she <laughs> was like, no, well, that person's such a four. And so <laughs> That's so me. Right. I'm like, use your words, not your numbers. So all that to say is I am a three on the Enneagram, which means a lot of things, but how that has manifested throughout my life is if I'm in a yoga class, I want the instructor to think I'm awesome. And I want the instructor to think, oh, wow, she's totally listening to me. Look at her doing her downward facing dog perfectly. I want to be the poster child. And so when I as well, just like you, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in Southern culture, which Christianity is sort of the air you breathe whether or not you go to church. And so uh, Christian concepts weren't as like new to me, but when I became a Christian, when I was going to my senior year of high school, I mean, I was all in, I had an encounter with who I believe to be God and Jesus, and it transformed my life. And I went to a mega church in the early 2000s with 20,000 people. There were 1,500 people in my youth group. I instantly become a Christian and get thrown a mic and am on stage sharing my story and talking about God and writing Bible studies within a few months of becoming a Christian. And I think from a, a good place, I wanted to get to know God and I wanted to get to know this Jesus and what I believed. And so I was super motivated by having this genuine, authentic experience with God. And also I really liked being liked. So things like, oh, save sex for marriage, instead of looking into the scriptures myself, I just thought, okay, noted. That's what good Christians do. So I'm going to do that. Let me like be the poster child for that. And I honestly didn't really ever question it until my own experiences of almost having sex and dating around in New York. And for me, like what it came to is dating a guy and almost having sex multiple times with him and being like, I always thought I'd feel guilty for that. I actually don't feel guilty for that. That's interesting. And I think the first thing for me was to really give myself the permission to be where I was at. And I'm so grateful for the friends in my life because I, for so long in that journey, wasn't honest with myself with what I wanted, i.e. I actually, on this date tonight, I do want to have sex. I desire having sex. I desire having sex with this person that I'm dating that I am crazy about. I wouldn't even let myself admit that because I thought I shouldn't want that. So I shouldn't be, I shouldn't even admit that. I shouldn't think it. And I remember one time having a conversation with one of my best friends and mentors and it was, this is a totally separate conversation, but I had just moved to California. It was post-college, just graduated with a Bible degree. And most of my Christian friends in California smoked a lot of weed. And I just thought, what the heck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> this would never happen in Dallas, Texas. I live in Colorado. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just, it was really rattling to me. And I had a conversation with my mentor and was like, 
all these people are smoking weed. How can they even be Christians? And she was like, well, it sounds like you want to smoke weed. And I was like, no, I don't. Oh, I would never want to do that. (laughs) And she was like, why? And I was like, well, Christians shouldn't smoke weed because it's bad. And she was like, why? And why, why, why asking me this question? And ultimately she's like, if the only reason you're not doing something is because you shouldn't do it, she's like, do it. She's like, that rhetoric falls apart. You have to know why you believe something outside of I should or shouldn't do it. And stopping at should dismisses where my heart is actually at. I really can't deal with where my heart is at if I'm not willing to honestly say, you know what, I actually am curious about weed. Because when I give myself the space to admit that, then I can decide how I want to move forward. And until I gave myself the permission to admit I know that I quote unquote shouldn't have sex because I'm a Christian, but I actually do want to have sex. So what do I do with that? Because then what would happen is because I wouldn't admit it to myself. I would get in situations with the guy I was dating where it'd be like, oops, we went too far again. Let's pray for repentance. Yeah. Oh shoot. Like that accidentally (laughs) happened again. And so I really wasn't able to take ownership over how it was showing up in integrity because I wasn't giving myself the permission to be honest with what I really wanted because I judged myself. So not only was I judging myself for desiring sex, which is one of the most natural human desires that any human can have. I was so afraid of what other people were going to think of me because there I was almost 30 years old at the time. And I prided myself on being the girl that stuck to her guns about abstinence and waiting until marriage to have sex. And so I think the biggest thing that I thought being honest would cost me, I thought I was going to be rejected. But the more I was, the more I gave myself permission to be honest with myself and then others in my life, the last thing it gave me was rejection. And the number one thing it gave me was vulnerability, connection, and intimacy in my friendships and relationships. And then from there, once I was able to say, you know what, I know I haven't had sex, but I really want to have sex. Then I could honestly say, okay, God, you and me, what's going on here? What do I believe about this? Not just here's this script that was given to me. Here's a set of rules of do and don't and should and shouldn't. If what I know about God is true, it's that God cares about my heart and that if there is a rule or invitation in scripture, it's not because God hates me or thinks sex is dirty. It means that God really, really cares about my heart. And so there has to be a good reason beneath the invitation. And so I had to get to a place where I was honest with myself and then honest with God. Because I think, I think we're not honest with God sometimes because we're afraid of our own hearts. We're afraid that God will judge us. But if God is God, then God isn't so insecure that God would be so offended by our questions. Like God is infinite. If God is real, then like God doesn't have such a ego. That's like a peach that would be bruised that he couldn't handle our questions. So I think for me, it was getting to a place where I gave myself the permission to ask the questions I really wanted to ask. And from that place, I could really start digging into, well, is this true? Does the Bible actually say this? And then when I actually read the Bible, I was like, oh, it really does say that. (laughs) And so now I get to figure out 
how I want to move forward. And I think why it's so important to give ourselves that permission is because for such a long time, I felt like a victim to Christianity. I was a victim to my own expectations for myself and to external expectations of how I should or shouldn't show up. But now I may be making a similar decision to wait until marriage to have sex. However, it's an inside out decision that's internally motivated. And I know why I'm doing this. I feel excited about it. I have agency and autonomy over my sexuality. And so that's a completely different way to show up. And one of my pastors um, says it this way. He's like, there's a big difference. If let's say you have smoked cigarettes your whole life and you are quitting smoking cigarettes for whatever reason, if a person comes up to you and says, Hey, do you want a cigarette? And you say, oh, I'm really trying to quit. Like, oh, like, I'm, you know, I have the patch. See, I'm, I'm trying to quit. And versus if someone comes up to you and says, hey, do you want a cigarette? And you say, I'm not a smoker. Wow. Yeah. Identity stuff there. So that's one. The former is oh, I'm doing this thing that I really don't want to do, that I don't really feel confident about, that I feel like I should do because it's for my best. So no, I'm really trying to quit versus no, I'm motivated from the inside out. That's not who I am anymore. And so I think giving people the space to come to their own decisions um, is super important. And that has cost me something now. <laughs> it's It means sometimes when I share what I believe about sexual desire being God designed, I'm going to be misunderstood. And being misunderstood really sucks and being rejected by people that I really respect is painful. However, the goodness I get for being honest with my own questions is that when I started asking the questions like, does the Bible really say not to have sex outside of marriage, which it actually does. I just didn't know. Cause I just had rules mm-hmm. and you know, what, what's God's heart for intimacy. What is it that I'm really looking for? What is sex? Like when was the last time you sat down and thought like, what really is sex? What constitutes a sex? Once I started asking those questions, it was like, I was in a dark room and I thought I was all by myself and I lit a match and thought the only person I like, I'm not going to be able to see anything. Cause I just have this one lousy match. But once I lit my match, I realized all these other matches started being lit in this dark room and everyone was like, oh my gosh, I've been wondering the same exact thing. I just didn't know I was allowed to ask that question. And so really the fear was rejection, which I have experienced, but more so than not, it's people coming out of the woodworks that are like, oh my gosh, I've wondered my whole life if masturbation was really a sin because all I was ever taught from the pulpit was that masturbation is a male thing. And so if I'm a woman and I have sexual desire, then that must be doubly gross. And so by me asking the question, I'm realizing everyone else is asking the question. It's just, are we willing, is someone willing to step out and ask it? Man, well, one one really powerful conversation I had with my therapist around this time last year was is the cost of being silent more at this point than rejection? Because I think, I think it's more painful for you to be silent than to risk a few people leaving. If you say what you really believe or ask the questions you really want to ask, and do you really even want to be at a table where you can't ask 
the questions you want to ask, but very similar to you, I have a long history of being the good girl and I'm not an Enneagram three, I'm an Enneagram seven, but in a similar way, I like to live life in an extraordinary manner. And I want to be the best because I want life to be extraordinary, maybe not to achieve, but to, on this constant quest for extraordinaire. Um, and I also go to a one in stress. So I can very much think in the one space of right versus wrong. And I've lived a lot of my life thinking in black and white, right versus wrong. I do this because I should. And not only has that been a part of like my sexuality, like I deeply relate to all these questions you were asking from back when I was single and dating, but it's bled into every part of my life. And so have you noticed that to be a theme as well of I should do this in your career and your relationships and your friendships? Like that's my, that's my life's history at this point. Mm, Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. And I would say... Yes and no. I would say that hmm, with my career, not so much. I've never really kind of fit the mold of, oh, this is what I should do. I mean, I was a full athletic scholarship girl playing tennis at a D1 school and quit and like walked out of my family's blessing when I transferred to a small Christian school and became a Bible major. And then I took everyone by storm when I graduated with a Bible major and two weeks later moved to San Diego to work for a nonprofit making $7 a day. And then I threw a whole wrench in other people's plan for me when I, a year or two later, got into the photography world and then moving to New York City. And so I think in the career aspect of my life, I have never really fit the mold. And that has I've been like really confident and secure in that where I've struggled with the should and the shouldn't is honestly, I think so much of it has to do with daddy issues, (laughs) but with, I am the type of person who I'm a straight shooter. I ask hard questions to my girlfriends, but I have struggled doing that in my platonic friendship with men and romantic relationship with men. And obviously that bleeds over into my sexual encounters, my romantic encounters with men as well. And I think what more so that has had to do with is for a long time, I didn't realize that I had wounds from my past because when I was in my twenties, I had a great relationship with my dad. And he was a mentor. He was a confidant. He was this like amazing man of God. And so I didn't really understand how I had this great relationship with my dad, but then I would date total tool bags who didn't want to commit to me, who I was chasing and who were running around with other women on me. Like it just didn't make sense to me. And It wasn't until I really started looking at the past of, okay, who my dad is now hasn't impacted me as much as who he was when I was growing up and broken marriage, multiple broken marriages, addictions, affairs, and dad in and out of my life, my whole childhood through college. And so when I, when we talk about like should or shouldn't, a huge part of my healing process in the past 10 or so years has been really healing the narratives within me and the wounds within me that have said, I'm only worthy of affection 
if I act this certain way, if I am this certain size, if I fit the mold of what, you know, a Christian culture expects of me, if this Christian guy that I want to date accepts me and wants me. And so, so yeah, I would say if there's like the should or the shouldn't, it's really shown up primarily in my interactions with men. And it's, that's a humbling thing to admit, but also whenever we discover gaps in who we want to be versus how we're actually showing up, that's the moment of growth. Yeah. <laughs> like the idea of life isn't perfection. I remember one time one of my yoga instructors said, you know, everyone freaks out about meditation and the goal for meditation isn't perfection. The goal in meditation is when, not if, but when your mind wanders to make the conscious decision to go back to your intention. So when I'm in a situation and the shoulds start coming up to pause and say, well, I'm not a failure because I am, I'm starting to say should or shouldn't. This is the moment where I get to get really curious, man, what's really going on there. What's this really about? What am I afraid of? Cause when I'm shooting all over myself, <laughs> I am not giving my heart space to speak. And my heart has the permission to speak. My heart has the permission to want. Before I judge it for whatever it's wanting, I get to give it the space to feel. Oh my God, you're reading my mail, eh? I mean, I think for me, mine is translated in kind of the other examples you gave. Like, what does it look like? You know, what have how I've shown up in my family of origin, how has that, we've dealt with addiction, divorce, relapses, narcissism, <laughs> just a lot. Oh, girl. And yes. it has only been really this year before, you know, I think a, a lot of my issues I thought came from the addiction side of things. Like that was super obvious, super painful, always mm-hmm. the elephant in the room, but it was the little things of seeking approval from the narcissist family member and always oh, seeing yeah. swinging on a pendulum of complying to get their love, complying to get their approval, shrinking and become, becoming smaller and not speaking up because it would cost me um, affection. And so mm-hmm. that's been a, literally a journey of the last six months. And, and in the examples you gave of like how I show up in Christian culture or how I show up in friendships, it hasn't translated as much in my marriage. Um, for mm-hmm. some reason, that's been the one place where I just speak my mind to the nth degree. Um, but it has shown up in literally every single area of my life. Yeah. And One thing a therapist did with me that was not my therapist, but happened to be in a business mastermind I was in. I was literally working through business issues and because she was there to work on her therapy business, but also had her skills and training. She called Mm -hmm. me out and she was like, who is the person that in your life that you are shrinking that like in every single instance, you wonder if they're right there, what would that person say? Mm -hmm. And it wrecked me because there's a very prevalent person in my life that I think of, will I have their approval? If I say this, will I have their approval? If I write this in my book, if I say this on my podcast, if I publicly say this. And so what has been your relationship with deciding to like, not play it small anymore, to not shrink, whether it's in your romantic relationships or also in just like life in general? Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. Such a good, such a good question. And girl, I'm just, I wish people were seeing this. I mean, my head is nodding. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Let me impress the narcissist. Please <laughs> love me, want me. Like walk all over me. I don't care. Like I'm going to show you that I'm worthy and you're going to change for me. Oh, I mean, yep. girl, friend. I almost got engaged to a guy who is such a manifestation of narcissistic tendencies and so much of the the dysfunction of who my dad was growing up and I didn't it didn't hit me at the time because this man wasn't an addict, he wasn't a drug addict. And so I didn't see the correlation and really it's you know I'm so grateful that I dated that guy. I always say I'm so thankful for him because through him, God revealed to me that I have undealt with baggage (laughs) and I never would have known that until this guy rejected me because I was like, I'm such a confident person in every other area of my life. Like, why am I crumbling? Why? I was like melting in front of this guy. Whatever you want. Sure. Cheat on me. I don't care. I just want you to like me. Uh, It was such a mind screw for me that it propelled me to go start my healing process of going to therapy and being curious and and digging into my past and my struggles. You're listening. Who are you texting? My therapist. You text with your therapist? Text, video chat, call. Yep, that sounds too easy. How did you find her? I just went to betterhelp.com slash save. She's a licensed therapist and it's all online. I connect when it's convenient for me and don't waste time driving anywhere. Plus, it's affordable. I wonder if I should try it. It's great to talk to someone in confidence. She's helped me sort out quite a few things. And right now you save 10% off the first month when you go through betterhelp.com slash save. BetterHelp.com slash save. Got it. To the Converge Podcast Network. And now a message from a network supporter. We wanted to tell you today about an online parenting event that you or someone you know definitely won't want to miss. We're living in strange and difficult days, wouldn't you say? And I think it's safe to say that parents feel the pressure to lead in their homes especially well right now. But wouldn't it be nice to feel the freedom to check that perfectionism at the door and become the perfectly imperfect parent God actually called you to be? It's time to sign up today for the Perfectly Imperfect Christian Parenting Event that will be held on October 23rd and 24th. This completely digital event was designed to give parents the practical and spiritual help needed to grow as leaders in the home. And it's an easy and accessible digital format. With more than 40 available talks, you'll hear from amazing speakers like Aaron and Jamie Ivey, Mark Batterson, Jonathan Pitts, Nicole Zasowski, the Duck Dynasty Robertson family, and many, many more. Tickets are only $49, so we invite you or a parent that you love to register today for this digital Christian parenting event. Visit perfectlyimperfect.org to sign up today. Now, let's get back to today's show. Okay. So how not to shrink back. Okay. First, the, the first thing I noticed is I started noticing it was costing me something. And part of that was I started doing a lot of emotional intelligence work, going to workshops and doing a lot of mindset shifting and having opening my life up to feedback. So for example, I, 
at the beginning of my career, when I was doing photography, I felt like my femininity was a liability. I felt as though I wasn't getting jobs that other men were getting because I'm in the photography pit at New York Fashion Week. I'm one of two women. They're threatened by me and they're all going out for drinks afterwards. I'm not invited because they want their, they want their bro time. And so guess what happens when homeboy A gets a job that a job offer and he's already booked on that day, he's going to text his friend that he was out at drinks with that I wasn't invited to go with. So I just felt as though being a woman was the worst thing for me. And I wasn't getting the same opportunities as my peers. I wasn't getting paid enough or paid as much as my male counterparts because women were, were attracted to the cute male photographer, but threatened by the young single girl. And all that to say is I had these narratives that I was walking in that I had evidence in my life that proved those stories to be true. And then I became super committed to those narratives that it was the lens with which I viewed anything that did or didn't happen in my business. And so it, it didn't matter if I really just didn't get the job because they didn't like my work and they liked someone else's work better. It, my, I was so committed to proving to myself and others that I wasn't getting jobs because I was a woman that anything that did or didn't happen became ammunition for my cause. And so it wasn't until I started getting feedback about that and choosing to flip that narrative on the head. So we're all evidence gatherers. And so if I'm going to be spending time gathering evidence that I'm a piece of crap because I'm a woman in a man's world and I'm never going to get the promotion because of that, well, then I'm going to prove that to myself. And so what if I flipped that script? And once I really, really from the inside out started believing that actually me being a woman is the best thing I have to offer because I can photograph a female model with her, without her being afraid that I'm trying to take advantage of her. Cause I'm not some skeezy dude trying to get her naked. And so for me, like that first breakthrough is realizing no one is holding me back, but myself. Mm-hmm. And I am responsible for changing how I show up because guess what? I am the common denominator in every single situation I enter. That doesn't mean that things that are unfair, unjust don't happen to me, but it means that I have a lot more responsibility and power than I initially thought. So I think that's the first thing is realizing, wow, I am actually in my own way. And then I think in and that also translated into romance and even into the idea of asking these questions uh, of the church and the, the sexual narratives that I was really given growing up. I Once I started vocalizing them, I realized, like I said before, it was like I, I was putting voice to the question that everyone else in the room was asking, but they didn't know they had the permission to ask. So I realized, wow, by me playing small, (laughs) I am blocking my own freedom and I'm also blocking the freedom of others. And so it's not serving me. It's not serving me. It's not serving others to play small. And then the final thing I'll say there is you know, I have seen 
I don't want to totally throw my dad under the bus. My dad is a great man, but like all people, he has layers. He has good, he has bad, and he has struggled with addiction throughout his whole life. And I've seen pictures of, in very specific circumstances of, wow, here's a human that has, has no idea how incredible he is. And he has the opportunity to finish strong and he's not. And seeing the consequences of that, not only in his life, but just how, you know, my decisions never impact me only. (laughs) And seeing it's super clear to see when you're looking outward into someone else's life, wow, this person is taking a sledgehammer to their own life because they think they're a piece of crap and they feel in bondage to this addiction, but they're actually taking a sledgehammer to all of our lives. And being the collateral damage for a lifetime sucks. Yep. And so when I see this person that I really, really, really love self-sabotage and choosing to not finish strong, it has lit a fire under my ass so deep that I'm like, I get to finish strong. Yeah. Because I, I see what I see in my dad, what's also in me. I can get 90% done with a project and be like, oh, like I don't want to finish cleaning my room. (laughs) Or I'm like 40 minutes into my 45 minute workout and be like, you know, I showed up, like I don't need to do the cool down. I'm good. But there is something to being your word and finishing the thing you said you, that you said you were going to finish. And And I've struggled with it because I'm like, what we resist, we persist. So in resisting so much of this narrative that I've seen in my dad's life, am I just going to recreate that in my own life? And I have to say, no, I'm not because I am looking at the consequences that this person is paying in their life because ultimately he's playing small Mm -hmm. and I get to choose to live a different way. I think that it's so important first of all, I don't judge him. I love this person. And so if it's so true that I believe so strongly that this person is so loved, if this person only saw what I saw, if this person only knew about him, what I know about him, this person would be showing up night and day different. So if that's true for that person, it's probably also true for me. It's also true that, you know, and I've had people say this to me throughout my life. If you just knew if you just saw yourself the way I saw you, you would be going hundred miles an hour towards that dream. And so I want to have the audacity to believe that I am just as incredible as I think other people in my life are. Oh, that is hard work to do. You're, you're literally, um, pulling the highlights out of my session with my therapist yesterday. So, I mean, honestly, that really spoke to me because I think I had arrived at it costing me something at it being more at at some point, it was more painful to face rejection by playing small than it was to just speak up and be free. But I too have watched someone who has the most potential of anyone I know in my life lay it down um, because it's really hard to show up and it's really hard to believe you're incredible, as incredible as other people see you. And it costs quite a bit. And I've watched that play out for me every day with this family member. And so I, I just, so deep, I mean, that was convicting for me because literally Mm -hmm. 
I sat and talked yesterday about, well, it's really easy for me to lean into when people tell, I can get people to tell me I'm amazing or extraordinary, Mm -hmm. but it's actually a lot harder work to believe it myself. Like it's so much easier to just lean on someone else's opinion of me, but that changes based on how I behave. And if I live up to their standards or to whatever, but if I don't believe it about myself, like I'm missing it and I'm going to play small the rest of my life. And so Ooh. Well, one thing yeah. I definitely want to talk about before you go, and I think this is also a perfect segue into kind of what your book is unearthing and, and kind of laying out for readers, but I would love to hear you talk about like shame and what shame within Christianity and sexuality has really cost us because I've really been exploring as the older I get, I said this to you before um, the show, but I have so many things. 30 year old friends who are, I don't think crippled is a PC term to say anymore, but crippled in the sexuality department because of what shame in the church has done. And I, I'm starting to wonder, is this costing more and creating full, alive, healthy, fully functional people in society? Um, This shame is really toxic. And so I'd love to hear your heart behind this and really what you're, what you're doing with your book that's coming out in April. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a few things is first I had to get to, I think because I didn't grow up in Christian culture, my barometer was the Bible. And so I was learning these norms like, Oh, like to be a good Christian woman, you just keep your mouth shut. Like, (laughs) stop having such a strong opinion. Just be in the background. You can't be on the stage. And, or, oh, you're, as a woman, your body is bad. You need to cover your body because you don't want to make a brother stumble. Oh, do you? Yep. And I always felt so uncomfortable with that stuff because I was like, this is very weird. Um, because what I'm reading in the Bible is I felt like, and I feel like to this day that I'm reading something that other are we reading two different books here? Because what I read is Genesis one that says God created existence and said existence, stars, trees, seahorses, tectonic plates are good. Yet humanity is very good. And the creation of humanity is the only thing in existence that God said, let us make humanity in our image. So the Hebrew term there is this like, almost like a mirror reflector. So by me existing and breathing, I'm not a piece of crap. (laughs) So the dialogue that says like, my starting point is that I'm a piece of crap is not from the Bible. The starting point is that I am very good. And because I exist and because I breathe, I am made in the image of God. And just by being, I reflect my creator. So uh, that is where I want to start the conversation and then going through that and seeing, oh, wow, interesting. You know, church culture says women should be quiet, yet Ruth proposed marriage to Boaz Mm -hmm. and Queen Esther, who used to be an orphan, used her influence to stop the genocide of her people. And Proverbs 31, the narrative of the godly woman is 
this woman is entrepreneurial. She's business savvy. She teaches. She uses her voice publicly. She is multifaceted. She buys property and reinvests it. Her family has clout in the community because of her position in the community. And then let's go to the New Testament and see women like Lydia um, and Johanna who helped fund Jesus's ministry. And Lydia was a business owner. I just felt like I was looking at the Bible and I was like, wow, we're, I'm, this is weird. <laughs> How did this get, why are we getting this versus this? And so I think for me, when we're talking about shame, it has felt really clear to me that shame is not in alignment with the heart of God. In the New Testament, we see the scriptures that says, you know, God didn't create me for a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And so if I go to the root of any belief or any narrative, and that root is fear, that root is shame, that root is unworthiness, I can know already that that narrative is out of alignment with God's narrative for my life. And like Brene Brown says something along the lines that shame has an agenda to keep us small, hidden, and stuck. So if there are narratives in my life that are keeping me stuck in shame, small, hidden, stuck, then what's underneath hiddenness? Why do I hide? I hide because I'm scared. I hide out of fear. Those are not in connection with God's heart for us. That like Jesus came so we could have an abundant life a life of freedom, a life of connection with God, ourselves, and others. So how do we get shame out of our lives? We give ourselves the permission to say, well, what's underneath this belief system? And is this really God's heart for us or is this culture? And how do I know what God's heart is for me? I get to know God. How do I get to know God? I ask hard questions. If I, if for me, I identify as a Christian, so I go to the scriptures and I read the scriptures and unpack the scriptures. And then also, I trust that if I am made in the image of God, the, the Latin phrase for that is imago Dei. And then if I believe the scripture that says, my children, my sheep hear my voice, then that means I am a human that can hear the voice of God in my life. And so, you know, this idea that our emotions are bad, that we can't trust our intuition or our gut, uh, our body is bad. That's actually not rooted in Christianity. That's, that's Gnosticism. That says the body is bad, but the spirit is good. That's not Christianity, but we've allowed this stuff to be hijacked and it's so out of alignment with the heart of God. So freaking shame. Bye. (laughs) You don't have room to be in my life because that is, that is completely out of alignment with the God that I have gotten to know through my own experience and my own body and through the scriptures. What do you have to say though, to the person that like, like, I feel like you and I have come to a place where we're willing to pay the cost of leaving a group that is kind of preaching shame or like buying into a philosophy that that is the gospel, but it still permeates Christian culture at large. I mean, I feel like it's not the norm to be like, I am good. God said I'm good when I still have friends who are like, I'm just a sinner in the hands of an angry God (laughs) or saved by grace or whatever. Like I still feel like that you 
humans are bad. We are bad. We are sinners by identity versus saints. God, God gave us a new name and a new identity, but we still have this Mm -hmm. theme in Christian culture of being sinners, being bad. What do you have to say to the listener who a has is at a church where they're like, but my leader still kind of has this tone of shame, but they're a good person and they're really respected. Mm. And maybe they're even a Christian influencer pastor Mm. or the person who left. Be very weary of those then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or the person who left the church because they're like, well, all I've seen in the common thread is shame. Like, so I said, bye. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, there's been so many times I'm like, well, rightfully so. I don't blame you for wanting to throw the baby out with the bathwater there. Like that's super damaging. And so, you know, I think the first thing I have to say is I still believe that I sin (laughs) and that I'm like, I, I believe that like the grace of God in my life has transformed my life is transforming my life, will continue to transform my life. I believe that the antidote for my existence as a human is that I need something, someone outside of myself to intervene in my life. And I believe that that comes in the, in the personhood of who God is. So I'm not here saying like, we're all butterflies and we're all fine. Like, no, like we mess up all the time. I mess up every single day. It's just that what if we go to the starting point of how God starts with us? Ephesians says, and it's Ephesians 2, um, by grace, you have been saved through faith. It is not uh, of your own doing. It's like God's gift to us. And then it says, it says, we are God's workmanship. And that Greek word there is poema. We are literally like humans are the manifestation of God's creativity. God doesn't create bad things. God doesn't create evil things. So do I on a day-to-day basis choose unhealth, toxicity, self? And I also, I think my definition of sin is, you know, sin is this weird word that carries with it in itself shame. And my friend defined sin for like in a conversation a few years ago. And he said, you know, sin is when, I make a decision that separates me from God, myself, and others. That's what sin is. Sin is when I make a choice that separates me from myself, from God, and other people. We all do that every single day. And that we can say things like that I'm broken. I have real wounds in my life. I'm 35 years old and I've done a crap ton of work. And guess what? I still have a crap ton of work. I walk around with limps in different parts of my life, or maybe I can even call it broken, but I'm not a piece of crap. God says I'm his poema. That's good. And what if I had the courage to actually believe that? Ooh. You know? And so if you're in a, if you're like, oh my gosh, what does this even mean? Whoa. Like, you know, that's not the message I'm hearing. First, one of the most empowering things that I ever learned was, it was my first day of Bible school. We read this tiny book, maybe 50 pages long by a guy named John Stott called Your Mind Matters. And it's all about how if God is real and if God created humans, he created all of us, like our minds, our spirits, our hands, our feet, all of that. And if God created us with a mind, we're allowed to use it. So in Bible school, what we learned is don't take my word for it. Don't take your pastor's word for it. Don't even take 
my cat hairs. Don't take my word for it. Do your own work. Search the scriptures. Get a get a Bible dictionary. <laughs> you know, do don't just let someone else's sound bites dictate your belief system. You do the work. Ooh. No one, if you want a six pack, it doesn't matter if you have the best trainer in the world, you have to do the work. Why in the area of spirituality are we unwilling to do the work? We like having the sound bites. We like when the celebrity pastor says the thing and everyone's like, yeah, come on. That's so good. I love that. And I'm sitting there being like, does he even know what he just supplied? What does it actually mean that God is able to heal? What does it actually like? Let's really unpack it. And so to the person who is sitting, listening to this and feeling rattled by it, or I don't know if that's the message I am hearing. Don't take my word for it. Don't take your pastor's word for it. God created you with a mind with logic and reasoning skills. You are allowed to ask questions and kind of full circle back to where we started. If God is real and I believe God is real, God does not have such a tender ego that he cannot handle your questions. Yep. If, if God gets offended by your questions, he's not God. <laughs> that's God a- has space for you to doubt and ask questions. So Ooh. ask away. Yep. That's exactly as you were saying, I was like, man, that really takes us back full circle of like, you are not bad for asking questions. It's mm-hmm. not that you should or shouldn't ask questions. Like life is not about shoulds and shouldn'ts and just buy into the group narrative. Like God gave you a mind. He created you with it you can ask questions. He can handle it. And absolutely. And I think we have this, this theme of good versus bad. I mean, that's like, I mean, woven into every theme of every religion of every culture in in society, but you know, it's not bad for you to ask questions. And I, I really, I think it took me a long time to give myself permission to do that. Cause I was just like back to the original conversation. I was judging myself for even asking. So, oh, and just one more, one more thing to kind of say, even it's come up in my head a few times when you've said, you know, when we choose silence, when we choose staying, playing small, when we're afraid of that rejection, really what I am making existence about in that moment is me. It's, I'm just concerned about my ego. And, you know, we can say that even that I know that I'm opening up a can of worms here, but I feel like we have to say it as a white person, as a white woman in today's culture, for me not to acknowledge my white privilege and for me to stay silent when I hear and see people in power, not acknowledging racism, not acknowledging systemic racism, leaders in power who are overtly racist, um, if I stay silent, I am complicit. Yep. And so like, it's like, why would I ever want to reject me? Yeah. Reject me. Go ahead and reject me. I, me staying silent is me being in my privilege and making life about me. Mm -hmm. And like Jesus came to serve others. And so if I have any, what a privilege that I get to choose to stay silent. Yep. Like, oh my gosh, what a privilege. Some people don't have that privilege. Their life is on the line. And so if I have the opportunity to use my voice and I'm not because I'm afraid of what other people are going to think of me, how dare I? (laughs) That's like, and I, I say, I say that when I, I understand that we say things and it's costs us. I mean, I told you before we went live and I can't go super deep into this, but I was recently confronted with a decision 
that lost me tens and tens of thousands of dollars, but my integrity was at stake. And so I couldn't be silent about that. So I said goodbye to a lot of money, but it was my integrity. Yep. Man, I, I feel like we could have an entirely different (laughs) podcast on staying silence on operating from integrity when it costs you something on being willing to not people please. Um, if it means remaining in alignment and integrity with what you were made for and you're right, it is a privilege to be silent. And if I acknowledge that I have privilege, which I do, but then don't take it the next step to realize, oh, being silent is a privilege in itself. That, that gives me a lot to think about. So man, I could, we could have a whole nother show about this cat. Where can people listen to you talk more because you just break it and you make me think so much. And I'm so thankful. You also have a book coming out. So tell us all the things. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me and giving me the space to just rattle off <laughs> my mind. Um, my podcast is called The Refined Collective. We go live every Wednesday and my website's The Refined Woman. That's also my Instagram, my book, Sexless in the City, a sometimes sassy, sometimes painful, always honest look at dating, desire, and sex. You can actually buy it right now on Amazon or you can pre-order it, which I just discovered a few days ago. I was like, (laughs) what? You could buy my book? So it's in print April, 2021, but you can already get on that pre-order list. And if you are a single person navigating this season of life, I would love to walk with you. You can go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash T-R-W dating tips to get a free downloadable guide for my single ladies. You get invited to a private single ladies Facebook group where I do live coaching for free every week and yep, all the things. So hopefully that um, can support anyone listening for different ways to get involved with what I'm up to. Kat, thank you so much for being here with me today. It was such a good conversation. Uh, Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. (laughs) Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice. Lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. It's not every day you have to replace a water heater, more like every 10 years. The Home Depot can help with a wide selection of the latest models from Rheem and a helpful online water heater buying guide to help make choosing the right Rheem easy. From gas to electric, tankless, even smart models that can spot a leak before it happens. Water heaters have come a long way. You don't have to. Go to homedepot.com to find the latest Rheem water heaters and helpful answers and advice from our water heater buying guide. Only from the Home Depot. 
how doers get more done.